time, weather, and... Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Che and Pav Show, teachers talking teaching. We are two middle school teachers sharing our reflections and insights about the topics that matter the most in the classroom. Join us in the hallway, the parking lot, or even in the staff room. to episode 122 of the Che and Pav Show. Thank you for joining us as we sit around the table to talk teaching. Today we are continuing our conversation with Beth Lyons from the Read Into This podcast about our transitional journeys in education. We will be featuring the second part of a crossover episode talking about our changing roles in education this year and the challenges and successes we've been facing along the way. We're excited to dive into this dynamic conversation, but before we do, we should introduce ourselves. My name is Pav Wander. I'm 50% of the hosting team of the Che and Pav show. My co-host is sitting next to me, but I'll let him introduce himself. And if you're ready for a podcast, honey, we're tougher than the rest. Oh, a little Bruce, the boss. Sorry, you just gave someone else the title of the boss. I thought that was a pretty sure you have a sign that says boss lady. <laughs> Definitely, I do. And I am Che the Hurricane Cheney, better known as 50%, i.e. 13% mm. of this dynamic duo that makes up the Che and Pav show. Teachers talking, you guessed it, <laughs> teaching. <laughs> And Pav, we do have this uh, wonderful deja vu moment of uh, this. We do have this wonderful deja vu moment of a crossover with Beth Lyons and an interesting crossover. Our first one was about stories, and this one is about um, changing roles, mm-hmm. new roles in teaching, or new roles in education. So this is part two of that conversation. Now, there's been a bit of a gap. I think Beth released her first episode probably a few weeks ago. Yep. But in this uh, new professions we have, we're not necessarily as uh, consistent with when we record our episodes or release our episodes. I think because, well, it's not solely the new professions. It's all the normalcies that have returned Mm -hmm. from the the COVID era when we were very 
discipline probably it wasn't even discipline there was nothing else going on there was nothing else to do we had so much time and now it's it's everything is is up and running uh everything is open all the activities are back all of the the kids are in their after school things so uh, there isn't as much time so which is unfortunate we did have ample time for recording and editing and 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 all of that research um, not that we don't make time for it now, but it's uh, just a little tougher to um, to scrounge up. It's just not always minutes. at the same time. Yeah, and so you, you you feel a little disjointed. Like we yeah. always had our Friday nights. Now I two two of the girls got soccer on Friday night, so Friday nights is not a night to sit down and record. Yeah, exactly. Um, but enough of that, Pav. We're getting ready for this episode, and we we had this wonderful conversation with Beth, and this is sort of part two, and it gets a little. I think. Um, humorous towards the end mm-hmm. uh, if you step right in because we start to talk a little bit about the, our podcasting journey as well because of course our podcast reflects that change in our uh, journey and so if you're not totally sure who Beth is yet before the episode right she's learning commons teacher librarian this is like for physical education teachers gym guy um, right. the librarian said don't just say librarians <laughs> um, teacher librarian teacher and, and you know who else is, and not even I say librarians, my mother's going to shoot me for that one. Yeah. Shoot me glares, shoot me text messages. Yep. Uh, because of course she was a librarian at Carlton University. Talk about oversimplification. <laughs> um, but we had this, you know, wonderful conversation on that. And, and Beth, of course, is uh, learning commons, teacher librarian, but it's trans, um, transferred. Transferred is the wrong word. No, she's transitioned. Transitioned is a Crossed better word. Crossed over into uh back into homeroom and so we've yeah. had some conversations about those new transitions and the new things that we go through and um i think comes through in this conversation but pav one thing i know in in this new position for us is we're gifted with a lot of pd mm-hmm. pd is teachers we weren't gifted and i think one of the toughest transitions i have now is that as i'm being fed all this wonderful professional development i want to have a space where i can implement it immediately yes. and have all day to play with it but with our new roles going into multiple different spaces and and supporting and teaching and coaching and, and anything and everything related to the teaching profession you don't always just to get to just walk in and do what you want in fact right. it, they aren't our spaces and so it's about um i find in this new role one thing i struggle with is wow i finally have access there's so much professional development, and yet I, can, I I know I can provide it and use it, but I can't use it as much as I want to. Yeah. Then I miss having my home room. Yeah, it, I, I have found the same struggle. Uh, it, it's probably one of the biggest things that I've experienced as well. Um, you want to turn around and use the PD right away. And, uh, and, it, and it becomes sort of this use it or lose it situation, right? Because the more distance you put between the, the professional development that you just received, um, one, the less likelihood that you are going to apply it. And two, you start to forget some of the nuggets that you, you picked up along the way. And so, yes, you can take all the notes, but unless you put it into action almost immediately, you know, some of those pieces sort of disintegrate and they fall apart and sometimes they don't, they don't actualize. Um, so that, that has definitely been, uh, an unfortunate side effect, I suppose, of not having 
your own class to sort of try these things with right away. And, you know, I have to say that in some of the spaces that I am in, um, I've been very fortunate that teachers do want to try these things right away. And so I have been able to implement uh, many of the things that I have learned this year, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but it's a little bit of a different relationship, you know, as when it's your own class, uh, you, you sort of know and recognize what's going to, what's going to sit well and what may not sit so well. So, uh, that, that has been a little bit of a try and error process, but, uh, trial and error process, but it's been fun nonetheless. It's, uh, in that space, you can bring in sort of the big pieces. I find it's those, those micro habits yeah. that become sort of ingrained in culture where you don't have as much say is the wrong word, but it, they're tougher to, to morph and bring into the space. Cause also you need to be there all the time. And yeah. one thing is you're not, if, the one thing I've noticed is if you know, if you miss a day for a PD or you have a sick day or there's a call you got to take and you miss that class, you don't come around again for another week. Right. And in that flow of teaching, it's, it's a little tough. It is tough. It's and tough to, it's, it's like, um, you know, you don't realize that the world turns <laughs> when you're not there. Yeah. So sometimes it's like you go back to the class and, you know that they have been doing things in your absence, but it's almost like, well, everything stopped when I left, right? Like you haven't done anything. Like we can just pick up where things left off. Uh, and that's, that's definitely not the case. And so it, it is difficult, you know, to kind of be like, all right, so catch me up. What did we miss? And then, and then, all right, let's go. Let's, let's pick up from where we are going to pick up. Pav, we've had these conversations off air that this is why we know it's so tough to get into a teacher's space mm -hmm. when you're not there every day. Because if you're not there every day, you're not there to them. <laughs> you're not there. Yeah. Um, even if you're there every second day, there, there's something about that continual flow. And then on the bigger picture, when I think of our content and our messaging and, and sort of what we had always learned or why we always stated that teacher position is that teaching is a grind. It is the day to day. Mm -hmm. And when you're somewhat removed from teaching, you're not a teacher. I, I know by one definition, I'm still a teacher, but by another definition, I am not, not accountable for the day to day. And I swing in and I stop by and I do this and I do that. And it's not the same. And it reminds me of the bigger picture of who's providing the messaging for what teachers need to be doing or what's working in the classroom. Because if you are not a teacher and I'll position myself now as not one, I don't know. Mm -hmm. then I don't feel compelled to start telling teachers what's going on in their space. I don't know. I'm not there often enough. And Pab, you know, we have this wonderful episode on chat. GPT. <laughs> lined up. I'll help you out. Um, but we've been hesitant to do it because one thing that's annoying me in this space is the seeming desire for folks to position themselves as fast as possible as the expert, the go-to, the person I need to listen from. And I find a lot of non-teachers creating wonderful infographics for all the things that can work in class. And it hasn't been around long enough to do even know if it works in class, and yet the, the audacity to think that you should be telling teachers, myself included, that this is what should be going on. I think there's a real space for exploration and play. And Pav, I, I'm going on a little mini rant. It is really important for non-teachers to position exactly their role in education before they start talking about what's working in classrooms. Because I can make anything work for one period in a classroom and I'm still in rooms. Then I look at people that are positioning all their content. And say, You're not even in a school. You're not even in a classroom and you have the unmitigated goal 
to sit there and tell people what's working in rooms. You don't know. And then, oh, and, and I'm like, only Nixie can go to China as a teacher. This is my position. Now that I'm, I'm like barely a teacher. I'm just holding on to teaching. I still feel like almost, I can't even fathom to think that I would make any such bold statements about what students need and what works. And I'm still in rooms every day. Then I look in this space. Pav, you can give me whenever you want. You're not even looking at oh me. Oh my, no, because I know you'll tell me to stop. Uh, the chat whatever it is, reminded me just how fast people position themselves and how quick we quickly absorb because we need to absorb quick information. But I really, I, I really don't want quick infographics from people that don't teach to tell me how they can be effective in the classroom because I know you haven't done it. I know it hasn't been around long enough that you've practiced it to see the total outcome. And so I think it's better that we position ourselves that this is new, fantastic technology. We need to use it. Let's practice. Let's build some capacity together. I'm not in a room, so I can explore a little bit more, but I have no idea how it actually works in a class of 30. And I need to be clear about that. But people don't want to be clear about that part. They just want to be clear about that. You know how JatGP works. Now, if you're listening to this podcast in 1.5, you didn't hear any of that. It sounded like beep. So but, but as, you Chay, get, as you get ready, for tell these, me how you really feel. <laughs> sure. That's just an act. That's, that's how teacher Mr. Cheney works. But let me ask you something. Um, we know that the, the, the whole world of marketing works this way, right? If you are the first and the loudest, you get, you get a certain amount of attention. So why, why, like, what can you as a, like, I'll, I'll say, okay, what can teachers do uh, beyond just exploring because they don't have time to explore. No, so where don't. do they begin? Where, where do they begin? Do they, do they look at the uh, infographics that are being uh, processed by these individuals who are definitely not in classrooms but want to position themselves as first and loudest? Um, do they use that as a starting point? Or do they, do they ignore these people completely once they say, oh, you are a consultant. I don't need no. to listen to you. Um, you are not in the classroom. Um, so where do they go? Because I, I hear a lot of uh, angst <laughs> about this. No, no angst at all. No angst at all. Come. But uh, but what what does a classroom teacher do? Or do mm, because mm, what I have mm, seen, mm, listen, mm, listen, this mm. is what I have seen. I have seen um, complete non engagement in things like Chat GPT because how does it, I I don't even have the time to explore. So why would I even bother to try? Um, so like there's it's either all or nothing. So how do you get to this middle point? Is there even a need to get to a middle point? Is this something that even we need to be exploring as teachers? I'll use chat GPT as an example, but this could be any given thing that is trending in education at the moment. Yes. Yes. Like, what? Like even when people throw out new technologies and new softwares, unless you can humanize it and tell me how it looks in the classroom, it just becomes, uh, it's just like a showpiece. To answer your question as best I can, it's not a definitive answer. My, what irks me isn't people sharing this information. It's the positioning as expert and the positioning is definitive. And I think it's important to state I'm gifted the, the ability to experiment and play and I've curated what I think is a list, but it could use some adaptation and it could use further exploration open to being, come back to my original position, is position who you are in education. And so if you're just an, a, a consultant, 
or of whatever type of coach that's not in a classroom and you're gifted time to do this, when you finish your final product, don't position yourself as having something definitive. Don't, don't not even, and this is, this is where it becomes tricky, Pat, because no one will, everyone will argue that they haven't defined that, but they're not defining by positioning what they are in education either. They, 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 they hope that the, the consumer of their information takes for granted. I'm getting a little convoluted. I think many people in teaching willfully mislead in how they present material because they won't state that they're not in the classroom and they hope that you infer that because you're giving teaching advice, you must be a teacher or be in a room. And so the onus becomes on teachers to challenge folks, say, are you actually in a room? And I think a lot of people willfully choose not to be open to position themselves. Are they in classrooms? And, and that's sort of what irks me. Not that people are it's not even solely consultants. Anyone creating this content is not open with who they are. I was watching one educator and they were talking about public education, but they're not in public education and that's fine, but they're not. But all the comments, all the teachers about loving their class and loving what's going on in their space, they indicate that they love and they want to put their student in their class, but that person never comes back and articulates that they're not actually in the public school system. You can't actually get access to me unless you're willing to pay twenty-five, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars a year. And to me, that's important because if that's your position in education, I better know what your position is. Education. Finish your thought. I can't. Okay. So. <laughs> so. It's so. A- so. But here's okay. So here's the piece that I'm struggling with, right? And it's not a struggle. It's not necessarily a struggle. It's a thought that I have in my head. As a teacher, I don't have the time to do it. So I depend on someone to come in from outside to help me do it. That that is our role. Yes. Right. Um, we are in there to build capacity. We are there to help teachers, and we are not in the classroom all the time. We have theoretical information that we can bring in and say, let's experiment with this. Let's, let's figure out if, if this works. So those that are consultants or coaches that are, that are, you know, saying that we've got this great content, it's going to work great in your classrooms. Where's the, where's the middle ground for them? What can they do to be able to make their claims valid? Do they need to be in classrooms the way that we are to test these things out? I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Peter Liljedal, who Mm. is the author of uh, Building Thinking Classrooms. And, and we are both in a professional development with him. And, and he has taken his theoretical approach and really experimented in many different classrooms. He has spent time conducting studies and seeing if this process works. Now, I actually really enjoy his approach and I know he's not a classroom teacher. He does position this as something that works in classrooms and he has had the privilege of testing out his, um, his theory and testing out the process of thinking classrooms and seeing what works and what doesn't work. So we're looking for more action research is Mm. what we're looking for from people who are not really in classrooms, but say that things will work. Yeah. That action research um, provides space for teachers to be part of the action. Mm -hmm. And it's the, in Peter's work that we've seen is that it's, it, there's data collected. There's teacher involvement. Right. And I think that piece of, you're right, teachers don't have the time. So where are they going to get the resources from? I was, my bigger point is when people that are provided these resources really, I don't even want to say willfully, there is a smoke screen. 
it's like dealing with an insurance company, which <laughs> they will offer the world to me, but I have to ask them specifically, or they will not dare to tell me what is accessible to me through insurance. And I, I find the same in this space. People are not forthcoming with their positionality. No. And, and they'll answer the question if I have to ask it, but I shouldn't have to ask it. Yeah, but that's marketing. That's grumpy old man. That, that, is, that is how people make money. And that is, un, it's an unfortunate thing, but that's not, that's not just an education as you just, uh, you know, provided the example for that's so we, in every industry. So we blew it. No. We, what do you doing, mean we blew it? We've been doing it. this for four years. We haven't made no money. <laughs> people, people, we are the first to podcast and we are the loudest. <laughs> well, we, that one of wait, those things are true. <laughs> wait, because we are tougher than the rest. I think we should transition that, back to Beth because that's a little trailer our, for some of our next episodes. We've oh, got these yeah. in the bank. I know. I know. Lots of conversation. And so, here. yeah, let's get to this Beth conversation yeah. on these difficulties and successes with transitionings into new roles. You're listening to part two of Crossover number two with Beth Lyons on the Che and Pav show. Get You're listening to The Chain Pav Show. All right, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Chain Pav Show. It's number something, but you probably got that before when Pav was speaking. We have been having this wonderful crossover uh, conversation with Beth Lyons from the Read Into This uh, podcast, and they we had a riveting part one there. Beth and Pav were in a great mood. I was sour and curt. <laughs> And I gave a lot of eye rolls and a lot of just ugh type of statements. But those two had a really great conversation on this new space for all three of us and changing roles and the eye-opening events and people around us that sort of led us to these inspirational decisions or this understanding that maybe our pathways and the goals and the reasons we were in education were just sort of not manifesting in these spaces we were at. And so please do go back and check that part one. And now we're here, part two of this crossover. And I, I use the analogy in part one of Murder, She Wrote, to Magnum P.I. And folks, we are in Hawaii now. And so I will oh. assume the role of Tom Selleck. I have my ball cap on as always, and I'll go put on a nice... You don't cut me off yet, folks. I know you can't see, but Pav is on the verge. She wants to know if I'm wearing the Magnum P.I. shorts. So no, yes. I'm not going that far. I'm not going that yeah, but far. But that makes me Angela Lansbury. <laughs> I was going to say, where does Mayor Murder, She Wrote take place? Because Why do Hawaii, I have to be the old it, lady? Isn't that the perfect book book title? Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Like it's I sorry, guess. Beth. It's just assumed like Magnum PI. Like be like, that's Jay. Gets, that's Jay. You know what? I'm not even in this conversation. He gets to be Tom Selleck. At least you get to be Angela Lansbury. Who am fair I? Enough, you're Higgins. Enough. Higgins. You're Higgins right. in the Higgins. in the new Magnum yeah. PI. You're Higgins. Who is? I don't even know. Is it is it a hot woman at least yes. that plays yes. Higgins? Because my three children watch it and I'm like, you want the original? Like, no, Dad. You want the original? No, Dad. Do you want the original? No, Dad. So yes, <laughs> right. Higgins is a newly defined character in the brand new okay. magnum and so um we will continue to talk about reruns uh so <laughs> please take out your pencil audience and rockford files that's a that's rockford a nice one files. to add on oh my god uh, 
Star Trek, of course, is, you know, maybe too obvious, but let's get back into the content. Yes. And back into this conversation. And and I think, Pav, if I, and Beth, if I pick up beyond, when we, into these new roles, these new positions, do our goals change? Do our goals get redefined? Are they reaffirmed? Are they validated? And so when we step into these roles, I think we were talking about in our previous conversation, how other people sort of assume some of our goals. And so a lot of the conversation about central jobs is there's, I think, a mass assumption that people in sort of these central coaching jobs aren't there because they want to be central coaches. They're there because they want something else. And this is part of the goal. But why don't we talk about specifically what our goals, Beth, you know, you went back into the classroom and, and Pav and I have sort of moved into more centrally assigned teachers. Have our goals changed? Are our goals realigning? Are they more defined? Are they more clear? And maybe from that conversation, we can space off into a little bit more uh, of the nuances of of these new positions. So let's readdress goals. When you went into these new spaces, what are your goals? What are you hoping to get out of this? Beth, we'll come back to you. And then Higgins, over to you. Um, What are your goals in in this switch? Or what were your perceived goals? Maybe, maybe I'm going to reframe this question. Beth, did you have goals to make the switch? And now that you've sort of made this pivot, huh, pivot, twirl, are the goals right? Or are you redefining, reflecting on those goals and maybe moving them around and, and changing them a little bit? So during my time in the library, I was very much influenced by um, Trevor McKenzie's work with Inquiry Mindset. Um, and I'm working my way through his uh, newest book, Inquiry Mindset, the assessment edition. Um, also with Angela Stockman's make writing work and multimodal uh, writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, where do inquiry-based learning and maker culture kind of coexist and mix? Um, and I did a research paper on that while I was in the library. So that has really been kind of central to my whole belief uh, around learning and working with students in the library. Um, and then you know, really watching kindergarten educators. I think all grade educators should spend more time with kindergarten educators. Mm. So really watching um, Aviva Dunsinger, who interestingly enough is also now in a central role, watching how she worked with her uh, kindies and the reflection that she and Paula posted and and wrote about constantly, the idea of how might – inquiry-based learning, maker culture, and kind of the beliefs that kindergarten educators bring into the classroom with their students, what would that look like in later grades? Um, You know, grade three is a weird grade in that it's not always considered to be early years learning, but it's not junior learning. It's really kind of a floater year in some ways. So what really, what would that hands-on inquiry-based maker, you know, what's best for this child in this moment at this time learning look like in a grade three classroom was really my big kind of um, overarching goal for returning to the classroom. And um, and then the right to read inquiry mm-hmm. um, was a huge push. My background, um, you know, my degree is in English literature. I have my honor specialist in English. Um, I've obviously I've, you know, worked a lot with books in the library. Um, but the idea of structured literacy, phonics-based teaching, all of that um, was completely foreign to me. That mm-hmm. is not how I taught. Um, that being said, as you know, Pav talked about where 
the, what she taught. I started as a grade seven and eight teacher. I started out in intermediate mm. and I taught there for um, six years, seven years or so. Um, and then I did a big jump from grade eight to grade four in a single year. Um, and then I did the jump to, to library. So I guess this is really kind of my third big pivot within my career. Um, but I started as an intermediate teacher where you, I think intermediate teachers falsely believe that they don't teach children how to read because they already do know how to read. Um, and when I think back to maybe how I structured my class and structured my lessons as an intermediate teacher 20 years ago, I think I'm around the same as you, Che, 20 years in. Um, it, I don't think it was good at all. I think if I'd had 20 years in the intermediate classroom, it would have gotten a lot better. It wasn't great. Um, so I have spent a great deal of time reading and learning about structured literacy, the right to read inquiry, the science of reading this year, um, and really kind of my literacy program looks nothing like it did when I was in the grade three classroom five years ago. Is it good? Uh, no, it is not good at all this year. Uh, I think they're learning things. I know I'm learning things. Uh, is it a, is it a routine? No. Is it a program? No. Do we do things every day? We do things every day. I, 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 I that's what I can say about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. I, I love that. I love kind of how you are authentically talking about your learning curve in, in the role this year. And, uh, you know, I love that you have, I actually was just like very impressed. I was like, oh shoot, she's got like actual goals. Like I came into this role, like not knowing anything, just like, I don't, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do on my first day? How do I even go into a classroom? Like, I don't, I don't know. What do I need to get better at? And I think it took me a couple of weeks to realize I've been teaching literacy like but all wrong. I'm not going into a new role. I'm returning. Right. You're returning. So that's yeah. different. That is a True. layer. Yes. Right? And I'm going back to the same grade. I did start as a three, four teacher at the start of the year. I'd never taught a split before. Okay. Um, so that was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. While my fours went to French, the threes went with them. And I taught grade one, two science. Okay. So for the first six weeks of the year, I was responsible for grade one, two, three, four science. Mm. That was a lot. That was a lot. Um, yeah. Now it's just grade three. It's much better. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, I love you mentioned the, the, the literacy side of things and talking about the right to read report and phonics and structured literacy, um, for myself, this has become a goal, like just like doing all of the, the PDs that we've been able to be in. Um, I, I, because you mentioned it to me, a couple of either of, uh, people have mentioned it to me as well. I listened to that sold a story podcast. Um, mm. and I binged it as well. I couldn't stop listening to it. I needed to listen to and all of them. It's, the dates of that podcast exactly line up for my, my teacher training. Like mm. it was mind boggling to think like, oh yeah, that's when I was in teacher's college and that's when I started teaching and yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah, I know it was, it was nuts to listen to that and going, I've been doing this all wrong. I have been doing this all wrong. And, uh, that, that focus of phonics and structured literacy, um, that has become my middle school goal. That has been my, that has become my goal for this year. I need to know, um, how I have not been teaching reading over the past 15 years, 15 years I've been teaching middle school and probably not teaching kids how to read. Um, and because of that, exactly that, um, I assumed that they already knew how, 
And if they didn't, it was, or if they tripped up on words, it was like, oh, you'll, you'll, I guess you'll get it at some point. Right. So let's go, let's go into the comprehension. Let's go into the inferencing and making connections and all of that stuff, because the decoding will come. If you don't have it yet, it'll, you'll, you'll get it eventually. And so I'm just thinking back with a lot of guilt on all of those opportunities where I had, you know, to do something different. Um, and I didn't. And so, uh, this, this has become my goal for this year is I, I need to know how to bring that kind of instruction, the science of reading into the middle school classroom. And, and I am just soaking it all up. Like we have, uh, effective reading strategies, uh, PD tomorrow, Che and I both do. And so I'm really, really excited to, to go into that. And, and I have been doing more work into the right to read report and, um, just, just, you know, covering those bases so that, you know, thank you for sharing what your goals are for this year and for this role, um, in the classroom, back in the classroom for myself that I would say that it, I didn't start out with that being a goal, but it has become one just because I, my eyes have been opened up to something that I was completely missing at some point. Che, what about you? What are your goals? So while you were binging on that podcast, I was just wasting my time binging on Magnum PI season seven and eight over and over again. <laughs> like really, was it a dream or not? But if you don't know that reference, then you haven't watched season seven and eight. No, no. But many good things there. <laughs> yes. And Beth, when you talked about have to go into a kindergarten room, I must say I've never really spent, mm -hmm. and by never really, I haven't spent time in the kindergarten room. But... And as Tony Kornheiser would say, there's always a but. I've always been, you know, certain things in my teaching career I've done wrong. And I said, oh. And the other things I said, you know, you were pretty smart back then, young man. And one of the things I embraced early on as a teacher was going into primary rooms to see how they were structuring their lessons and their ideas and the classroom flow and said, how can I adapt this to a middle school space? Is that something you actually did? Yeah. Oh. Don't actually, don't you act surprised. You make it look like I'm lying. No, I and I wish I could have, but I taught at a middle school. We only okay. had six, seven, and I eight. I see. Yeah, so, so I you didn't even have that frame of reference in the building. Which now looking back, like maybe a K to eight makes more sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you based oh. some of your classroom structure mm -hmm. on um, primary classrooms. Yeah, like what? I'm so curious. Well, one, even the simple one I talk about all the time is the read aloud because a, okay. a primary class was almost always starting with a story. And so I grabbed the read aloud, which I wouldn't have started middle. I, when I taught my first year in grade six, I didn't. I didn't even think about it when I moved on. And then the read aloud became my access point to vocabulary and it became my access point. So when you talked about I was on, well, not only teaching, right, connections and stuff do foster. And this is, comes into the bigger reading argument where we've had this diet. It's tough. And the whole science of reading is so convoluted. It's tough to know. And then you start to wonder, is, are my argument points so centralized that kids are all reading and we're trying to create these maxim maximizing every learning moment. But if the kids, students are still learning and growing, they're still learning and growing. A lot of these arguments about like, what's the best way, but you know what? And we've, I've brought this into a sports analogy a few times. My baseball swing is not technically the best swing, but I can still work on it and I still hit the ball pretty effectively. But when I, when I spend a lot of my time trying to perfect my swing, I actually lose a little bit of the fluidity of my swing. And so when we talk about reading, students 
have it's an individual journey with reading and so you do have to be mindful and mm-hmm. see and watch and know where you can press and give an activity give an idea have a conversation to propel that reading but how many students and i don't know are, are truly unable to grasp any reading and so i the whole reading argument is like it's just it reminds me it's a sponge there's so much information you inhale in immediately don't feel you're doing enough because you there's so much information out there that there's so many things you aren't doing because you're also doing things. It's not that you're not doing things because you're doing other things and you're watching your class and you're seeing growth and you're seeing great conversation on your books. And so you start thinking, I would love to you know, spend a little bit more time on word analysis, but overall I'm doing a whole bunch of great reading stuff and I see overall collective growth. You can, you can almost lock yourself into an inability to keep going because you start to just distrust everything you're doing. And so it does get really complex. And so one, in venturing back, I looked at a lot of primary classes. And, and so I give the read aloud as one example. And then I also was tapped and I studied Kylene Beers. I got my reading specials very early on in my teaching. And so I was using some of those tools, but they talked about a lot of the tools that you thought weren't valuable. But if you're doing pre, during... No, no, I never said that they were not valuable. There was, I felt like I was missing mm. some key aspects of my literacy program that maybe I should have paid a little bit more attention to. Like obviously making connections and inferencing and all of that yeah. is... And I is, think a- Sorry, part- a big part of the problem in education is we are constantly throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, exactly. The pendulum is constantly swinging. Like, you know, okay, now we're only going to do this. And yeah. now we're only going to do that. When really we need to, you know, as you're saying, Che, and I think as part of the kindergarten belief is what's best for this student in this moment right now? Mm-hmm. You know, like, are they are they able to work on connections or inferring? Or is this student really still with decoding? You know, like all of that is part of the sphere, um, you know, and it's just, I, I can't, I don't think we can throw away the last 20, 15 years of our experience and say we never did anything right. Right. Because I think that is a big part of the problem in education. We're like, nope, now we're back to basics or whatever they call it in math. And oh, now it's problem-based learning in math and et cetera. You know, we, we need to stop throwing everything out and ter- changing it over to the new. Stop and thinking who's benefiting by making us convinced that what they have to offer is something that's totally new and we've blown it. It, 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 becomes, it becomes convoluted. And I don't even want to talk with such a cynical tone, but I, I, I extend. And I think, Pav, what you were talking about, Beth, what you were talking about, when I want to make a connection to goals, and I'm going to actually, Pav, give you one. I don't think it was your goal, but I think from an outside observer, and knowing sort of our two teaching experiences, that you didn't seek this role for validation or appreciation, but I think this role for you has given you a little bit of appreciation for your skill set and a little bit of validation for the the greatness you bring to education when you probably weren't seeing it and, and, and other teachers aren't seeing it and getting it in their spaces. And I think this is why our journey is a little different, is that in, in the school I was in, I was and we've talked about this at many a time, fully supported for all the work I was doing and validated for the work I was doing. And maybe now as that, it's not that the goal's different, is that the position lands on me a little bit different. Maybe it's my own struggle with this job is that sort of, I don't even want to make it about validation, but I, I'm going to circle back for a second. I see from afar that this position 
and uh, the work you're being gifted and the way people interact with the work you're sharing and your podcasting experience and how schools gravitate to you and even your indirect schools reach out and they want to connect with you sort of on just an interpersonal level is a real good val. I see it as a good validation for your work when in years past, the good work you were doing wasn't receiving quite the praise it deserved. And I, and I see this role doing that for you. Maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you don't see it. But as an outside observer, like if I bought popcorn and I'm watching from the 100 level right by first base, like it's a good view. Uh, that's what I see. For me, I think about my goals. Um, what this is, my goals are shifting because at some point I thought, oh, maybe I wanted to be one of those three or five year term coaches. But as I absorb all this great PD that's being funneled my way, the desire then is to immediately say, now I want to bring this back to a classroom. Now, now I want my own room because now I've got five or six different tools. I've been given all kinds of time to practice and explore this. And as a teacher, I would dabble into a few spaces and I would push my own PD a little bit. But like I said, even in that context, not as much as what's been thrown my way in the last six to eight weeks. And all of a sudden I feel now that I've gained all this knowledge, my actual goals aren't to go further or maybe go ascend up the hierarchy. And you know, if we want to talk about that hierarchy, I almost feel like I want to go back to the classroom. So you know, when you ask me, I eight weeks in, I know eight weeks is not enough time, but I could like a flip of the coin, try to continue with this job, move up into, move up, we can play on that, however you want, into other coaches job or what I want to go back to my, my grade eight room. Cause now I feel like I got 17 more really great tools that I could use. Yes. And, and I say these things to myself every day, every day when I learn something new, I'm like, wow, I really wish I had my own class right now because I could, I have so many ideas. I have so much that I want to do. And, and I have those moments as well. And they happen pretty often. Um, but the, I still feel, I still feel like there's more room for growth. And I will say um, that it is too soon for you to make, be making that assessment. I know that there are definitely days when I feel like I, I just wish that I had the, the sort of comfort of your own space and, you know, the, the same students that you see every single day and you know what to expect and it's not a surprise. Um, I go into schools every day with a little bit of anxiety because you just don't know what you're going to expect. I've missed a couple of days. I haven't been there um, consistently. And so, you know, you go in and you're just like, I don't know what today's going to be like. And, and so um, I definitely miss that part of things. Um, I think that, you know, you may feel that way at the, at the time at, in, at this moment, but um, I think that maybe it'll change and maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's interesting that you guys are saying that you have all these ideas that you are like, if only I had my own class, because I don't know how many times over the last five years I said that, like, I have this idea, I want to do it tomorrow, but then you got to, in the library, you got to find a teacher, you got to find a time, you got to get the schedule in the library and you got to get them to the library. Whereas now, if I have something tonight that I want to do tomorrow, we just clear the, clear the plan and we're going to do that tomorrow. Um, but on the opposite side of that coin, I guess, if you want to look at it, my first year in the library, I had a very close co-planning, co-teaching relationship with a grade four teacher. She was the one that I built in grade four and she looped with her class to grade five. So not only did she and I have that ongoing co-planning, co-teaching, co-assessing relationship, but her students worked with both of us throughout grade four and then worked again with both of us throughout grade five. 
Um, and I, I remember I blogged about it a while back, um, obviously when it happened a couple of years ago, but that, that ongoing relationship of, of having two teachers co-planning, working together with the students is really not something to dismiss. And I know you guys really can't say I'm definitely going to be in this role next year because of how it all plays out and it's out of your hands. Um, but coming from five years in a central role, I would say if possible, give it more than give it more than eight weeks uh, and give it more than a year. Yes. (laughs) Try for at least two, because if you can stay with those same schools, same teachers, and even those same kids, whether they're with the same educators or not, if they move from grade six to grade seven, they're going to remember the stuff they did with you. Mm -hmm. And that relationship also is going to grow. That's right. Um, And sometimes that's really where the magic happens, I think, when we not only have the time within a grade, but when we have the time within with relationships yeah you know like like looping with classes sometimes i think we don't do that enough in school really you know take a whole class and move together with them there was a middle school here in peel that for a number of years that their grade six teacher moved with them six seven eight Mm -hmm. and then cycled back through everybody had the same you know and there are pros and cons to it there are some things that probably don't work out well but it's a it's an interesting thing to think about how relationships loop yeah and I think that dynamic is definitely something to explore a little bit further as well the the looping um I definitely would love um as as challenging as it has been getting my foot into the door in some spaces um I would love to stay there for another year just to just to monitor that growth and how those relationships change and and work on that uh, co-planning, co-facilitating aspect of things, because I finally feel like we're doing it. And I finally feel like we're excited to do it and try new things. Um, You know, I have ideas that I have brought in. I've had the privilege to bring in um, and and be able to say, you know, I just learned about this. Do you want to do you want to give it a go? Do you want to try it? And teachers are now opening up to, okay, yeah, sure. Let's give it a go. Let's plan something. Let's try it out. Let's see. Let's see where it takes us. And then monitoring that growth to see, hey, you know, if, if we're really looking at this as a way to see if change can happen in the classroom, if maybe this can reach more students or we can pull up some scores where we didn't feel like it was even going to be possible for that to happen. Um, why not try some different things? Why not mix things up a little bit? I'm here for the year. So why not take advantage of the fact that I, you know, you have me at your disposal and, and we can do whatever it is that we want to try. Um, and and I'm and I'm happy to see that sort of that mindset starting to change and shift and and people are opening up to some different ideas where you know they thought they had this program set for the year and this is what they were going to do and now they're rethinking things and to me I already feel like that's a win uh, and so that that has been very validating and that has felt really good to to have people say yes I'm willing to try something new out so that maybe it can support some students that we didn't feel like we were going to be able to reach. Um, And whether that's, you know, something like just as simple as having the joy to come to school every single day. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And, and so um, I, I feel really good about that. And I'm glad that that's something that we're, we're going to try out and not dismiss. The, the big wins I, I, I was, you were talking, Pat, remind me as much as I sort of, I guess I came off pretty gloomy about my job, but some of those, 
those spots of, as a teacher, even when you're producing great lessons, or at least maybe for me, I always knew there was a component of each lesson or unit that was, was, was a secondary thought or a third thought, or I didn't plan it out as robust as I could. And one thing I found in this position is that when, I don't, I don't even want to say buying in, when the time has worked and the ideas have flown, that the, the complexities and the extensions and the thoughtfulness of every component of a lesson that then turns into a mini unit has been really rewarding to see. And so when I've been sort of uh, sharing with admin what, what's been going on to sort of document that I'm really doing stuff, but one of the things that's been really great has been to say, here's sort of our unit, but we have every imaginable extension that can go with. We have that reflection piece. You have that really authentic assessment piece. You've thought about assessment at every component. You've got extensions with vocabulary. You have sort of tech extensions. You have a book creator extension. You have a podcast reflect at the end of an activity. You, you, you're you bringing in um, components of lessons where teachers were, you have a Jamboard, you have an Adobe, you're analyzing a book cover. You're making sure you're aware that as much as you're analyzing a dystopian future, you have a enough resources and capacity to bring in an indigenous uh, version of a dystopian future, an LBGTQ book cover, where maybe in the rush of trying to just create a book cover activity, I wouldn't have had all these components. And so one of those wins has been when this coach's position actually weaves wonderfully with the classroom teacher, you can see the benefits. And I extend it a little further. You could probably go on Teacher Big Teacher, or you could use some curated uh, website that would provide all these components for you. But as I've always argued, part of that relationship building is through content. And as a teacher, you there's something different about the content when you have created it, when you've built it with your own hands, like loose parts to make a kindergarten connection. If I have built that lesson collectively together, there's so much more ownership. And I think students resonate with that relationship building. It's not that I found a great lesson that I'll teach you. It's that I've built a great lesson that I'm really excited to work with you. And I really think that's a component of that relationship component or that trust component with other uh, with your students is students see where teachers are curating their content. So they, I think there's real value when teachers build it themselves or build it together. And I think some of the wins I've seen is the complexities of building a few really great units that I'd love to go back to my own classroom yes. and do. But <laughs> I said, I, as a homeroom teacher, I would have had little bits, little components of these, but nothing is so thorough as to say, they're not a perfect lesson, not mastered lesson, but it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, can agree with that. We've I've really been able to develop some lessons with teachers that I was like, oh, I really wish I could use this in my space. Uh, maybe one day in the future, we'll save everything. It's where you get really good at uh, Google folders. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, now I'm like, oh right, I did that book, and I wanted to do this, and like to do pull it up there it is like right now we're there doing uh uh we're building tree forts out of 3d solids because i was like i read this book two years ago and i was like wouldn't that make an awesome math lesson so that's what we're doing and now we're also making posters to advertise our better tree forts because that's Ooh. what the book is called the better tree fort better tree fort well the better tree fort oh, nice. it was blue spruce in 2019 okay and uh yeah so we're building we built our tree forts out of 3d solids and uh, loose parts. We took pictures of them and they annotated their pictures with the names of the 3D solids and the features of their tree forts, such as lava pits, Ooh. obviously, and, uh, and slides, etc. And then now they're going to make posters this week advertising whose tree fort is the best. 
Wow. I love that. All in, all in grade three math. All in grade three math. That's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. See, so many ideas. Uh, when... An idea from 2019, just sitting around <laughs> waiting for me to have a class. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, there you go. Now you've got it. I even jump in. Bess was telling that story and talking about the posters. It reminded me of the unit we were doing with, uh, that I'm doing with um, another teacher on the Oh, no, sorry, wrong unit. The other teacher with the grade eight class and we were doing this digital photography. And at the end, there's two components here. As being central, you also get a lot of insights into what your board offers. And as a teacher, you just don't know the vast resource that your board. So in this position, we realized that our board actually has its own printing press. And so you can print posters within the board. So at $5, you can do this. And so when you were talking about that poster competition, one of the extension activities of the digital photography on youth homelessness in Toronto art exhibit we're participating in was it was digital art, but they didn't because they didn't want it physically. But then I realized through this new position, I knew where I could access how I could get this printed via the board really cheaply. And as a teacher, I would have still done the activity digitally, but I wouldn't have had that extension piece where now we can print these off. Now you can put them in the school. And it was just a little bit of, we were talking about the PD that we're gifted, but we're also, we start to understand the vastness of the system and how much our boards do have to offer. And then it reminds you as a teacher, how little time you have to pick yeah. up on these slight nuances. And so the idea of being able to print off these posters is like, this is going to light up a kid's eyes where as a teacher a year ago, I, I would I would have maybe gone out of my own way to try to print off smaller ones at Costco or something on my own dime. But the board has this available to turn off in a huge print size. Yeah. And, and you know, as you're talking about this, Che, I'm just wondering, you know, uh, how can we make all of this that's uh, available out there more accessible to teachers? And I know our roles that we're in is part of that, right? Like coaching positions. And that's that's kind of what they're there for, to guide you and move you into these spaces like oh you want to do this well did you know that there is actually a way for us to do that but I feel like there's like still this disconnect and it's not meshed in quite as well and maybe it's because of the size of the board like Toronto and Peel are both like massive school boards and there are so many moving parts that sometimes those two you know, there's so many things that just don't mesh together. And I just wish that there was a better way for everyone to just know what was available to them and how we can use it to the best capacity. But th there's always just this little disconnect that causes me a little bit of frustration sometimes. I think the, the ball gets rolling so fast. Like mm -hmm. you said, it's already December. And especially in the classroom, you know, the ball is rolling so fast from that first day then it's reorg, then it's progress yeah. reports. Now it's December. We're going to come back in January and we're going to be into first term report cards. Yeah. You know, like the just the ball rolls so fast. So even someone coming from a central role that has a, a wide view of all those things available in the board, I haven't been able to access things this year just because of the time yeah. and how, you know, the classroom day to day thing um, works. And I was talking with a colleague um, with about her grade four class and my grade three class and just the the monumental and again, the word gap has been thrown around so much during the pandemic, but the monumental space between her grade four learners and my grade three learners, it, we're both finding it just mind boggling when we talk about what she's doing with her fours and what I'm working on with my threes like they, it's you would think it was more than a year. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and my class is at 22, her class is at 27. So we're somewhat close-ish in size. 
Um, and, you know, I think a lot of this comes back down to class size. Yeah. Class size matters so much yep. in every grade for everything. If we just had fewer students that we could focus on every day and really meet those needs and have the time to look into these other things, I think the entire system K to 12 would benefit, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the you know, the, the release time for PD, the, yeah. the people there to do stuff, you know, any PD I'm doing on structured literacy right now is on my own time, my own time. I'm buying the books. I'm going to the courses. I'm watching the webinars. Um, you know, nothing has come through my school, through the board, through anything, um, you know, and, and I do not blame teachers in this year, our third year into the pandemic, we came from a job action year into the pandemic. If people are like, I don't have the capacity to take this on right now. I, mm -hmm. I do not blame mm -hmm. them. There has not been a pause and a moment to breathe. I do think for me personally, the shift in roles has created that space to breathe uh, because things feel new and fresh being back in the classroom. I think if I had stayed in the library, I would not have been in as positive a headspace for myself mentally as I am this year. Um, and I see a lot of posts from people who are questioning whether teaching is right for them. Is this it? Yeah. Like, is this how it's going to keep going? And, and I do really credit this shift in roles for me in helping with that. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt just systemically, we put a, we shoulder a lot of the burden on individuals and we want our individuals to be invested and want to take on some of their own learning, but we give the system a pass so often when we rely on or are expecting or we know the functionality of, of, of our kids' success is based on student or teachers' own commitment to do these things and sort of not to get political, but everything is political. I mean, the whole even think of Mr. Litchie, although, you know, as an old Pizza Hut manager used to say, when people do bad things, we don't call them Mr. <laughs> It's like, as I remember, or honorable, yeah. or honorable, right? Um, the, you know, you get kids on time and extracurriculars. One, any good pedagogy would tell you time is not the first thing you should be quoting when you talk about supporting students' growth. You know, you come in 10 minutes late, I can still help you. Getting there on time ain't a factor. And then just extracurricular, like the immediacy of thinking teachers will just absorb all this extra time. When, Beth, you talk about this, there's so much going on in teaching and so much being uh, filtered down on teachers to expect them to still be able to maintain that is quite presumptuous. Right. And I think it comes down to what is our system getting a pass on? And not that our system is willfully trying to turn a, make a, to pass on its responsibilities. But when we talk about gap, there's a real gap between what boards are able to funnel to teachers in order for them to uh, do their job as best they can when you talk about class size or access to PD, uh, the knowledge of what's available in their resource within their board to, to support. There, this is maybe this is the greatest gap of all is that disconnect in how we connect our teachers with our boards and our systems and how we both sort of take on a little bit of the burden of growing and getting better. But so many things just taken for granted in regards to those things I've said. So I'll repeat myself. But no, this is a podcast. So you can just rewind 35 seconds. Yes. Go. There's that little arrow. <laughs> Beth, do, uh, Beth, do you guys have some final thoughts? Do you want me to wrap this episode up and sort of uh, take a take take the it to the stretch run? 
Well, yes, we can wrap up. I'm I'm glad to do so, but I would love to I would love to know what everybody is reading right now. To no, be no, no, you can't go there because that's in my notes to end this episode. Oh, you, sorry, you've stolen it. But this is great. You and Higgins st- becomes Magnum PI. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my line stealing best routine. That was brilliant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> sorry. Okay, then I won't. I won't. I have nothing to add. <laughs> so no, Jay. I think. I'm good. I know we talked yeah. a little bit about um, kind of just where podcasting is fitting in in yeah. terms of time, time management for ourselves. Um, I am mostly looking at it in terms of what do I want to learn and who do I want to talk to right yeah. now and and using it really for my own personal uh, PD and uh, who I'm reaching out to uh, to chat with. Um, so, yeah, that's where podcasting is fitting in right now. And and what episode a month anymore? You're welcome, friends. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And Chase smiling because he's got something to connect yeah, to. As Beth was telling that story, a reminder of uh, the uh, endless emails. Oh, you may not know so-and-so. I think they'd be a great guest for your audience. <laughs> uh, red flag. Huge red flag. One, you don't ever listen to our content or else you would know we don't need your email to direct us towards guests. Our, this is our space to reflect and yeah. part of reflection is knowing who can we bring in to talk to that's going to better our capacity and yes there are valuable people that we know we want to reach to because we don't record enough to, and we don't do enough interviews to talk with everyone we want to talk to but if 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 you feel that you know someone that's never interacted with our content before, never shared our content before, never interacted with us before, no, I don't need you or them on our show. I, I get really annoyed when I see those emails because they're like endless and relentless. I won't open them. I always hope you're going to open them first. Yeah, I know. I do open them because it's just caused me so much angst. No, it's always because I think that maybe we may na- know this person and, and we've been caught in that before. And so, yeah, I read it for the laugh, but then it's like it goes away. But then they reach back say- out. We do not have that problem at Read Into This. Uh, people are not suggesting any people to be on Read Into This. Uh, it is all me finding people. <laughs> so if anyone out there is thinking of suggesting, that would be our first we'll, one. We'll forward you all our emails, Beth. We're going through that Gmail account right now. <laughs> hey, Beth, have you heard of this? Yeah. Um, Your but- audience would love this. Yeah. Yes. The time factor has been has been huge for us as well. I mean, there was a time where we were just doing one episode a month as well. And then we kind of wanted to we just needed to. We felt like something was missing from our Mm -hmm. own personal growth and and that reflective nature that the staff room podcasts uh, started on. Um, This was the reason that we were connecting. And so it was just um, we wanted to get back to that, the roots of that and being able to talk about things that we're experiencing in the, in the classroom and bringing it into the podcasting space. So, um, how does it fit for me? It's still a piece that I feel like I need. Uh, and so we, we try to do the biweekly episodes as much as we can. And we, like you, Beth, we try and talk to the people that we want to talk to and the ones that we feel like we can grow from, um, the conversations, ones that we've already had great conversations with, and we want to be able to continue that and, and make it a little bit more intentional for our learning because perhaps others will learn from that as well, just like we have. So, um, we're trying to continue it as, as often as we can. Um, and, and yeah, well, I appreciate I that I made the cut. 
Oh, you always make the cut. We have been putting this off for way too long. We feel like we, we needed to do this earlier, but I'm glad that we finally were able to. And hopefully we do an annual read into this yeah. crossover episode because uh, it's always a lot of fun and, and we have a great time. Maybe one day it'll happen in your beautiful sunroom. Or Hawaii. Yes. Or Hawaii. <laughs> Or Hawaii. With shorts. Or wherever Murder, She Wrote was filmed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. In the courtroom. I don't know. I didn't watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> Only when Magnum was on it. And you have been listening to episode, I don't know what, of the Chain Pav Show, Teachers Talking Teaching, on this wonderful crossover episode. Part one is available in the read into this podcast, and they are looking for guests. You heard Beth recently just stated <laughs> With Beth Lyons. So please go check out that part one as we talked about uh, the three of us personal journeys of switching our roles this year, but also some some broader context of the factors around why people may be switching roles and some of the tensions that, that go in that space and the value these roles within education because it's not just a principal, a teacher, and a student. Mm-hmm. Yes. Were you going to ask another question? No, that was my well, look over well, to you. For you to take a beautiful segue and to wrap this up. <laughs> so you want me to ask about what everybody's reading? Yes, you've already okay. taken this. We've already established it. All right. I felt bad for taking that from you. No, but... you didn't. No, you didn't. Do not even pretend that you felt bad. <laughs> All right, Beth, what are you reading right now? Uh, so I currently have actually uh, four books on the go. So I will share two. Uh, one I'm reading is called Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times mm. by Azair Nafasi, I believe is how you say it. Um, it turns out it's like the fourth book in kind of an ongoing series, but it also stands alone. It's amazing. Um, I'm loving it. The other book that I um, picked up, started to read, ironically, have not been able to get back to yet is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Oh. I, I started it probably a month and a half ago and haven't picked it up since. So obviously I need to read it <laughs> so I can pursue less. Um, but I heard about it from Dak Shepard's podcast. Okay. When he had on, um, I'm not going to remember now, he had on um, a guest and they were talking about it. And I was like, that is a book I need to read. The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. So mm -hmm. that's, those are the two I have on the go right now, plus two others. <laughs> You're all, I don't know how you do it. Read like multiple books at the same time. I have a hard time concentrating just on one. And I'm a really slow reader. And um, for me to actually absorb things that I'm reading, I, it requires, I require a lot of note taking while I'm reading. And so I, I can only put my mind into one. So I'm always just in awe when you're reading multiple things at the same one time. One of my books is, a, is an audio book. It's always okay. an audio book. So I have a fictional audio book. It's actually called The Librarian Spy. It's set, in World, set in World War II. Uh, books about books, books about librarians, <laughs> and books about historical fa uh, times yeah. are like my thing. So this is a book about a librarian who reads books in a historical time. It's like all the things I like. Anyway, it's an audio book. So that one's, I, yeah. it's uh, good. However, my commute now is only nine minutes. I've discovered <laughs> it takes a long time to listen to a book or podcast right. in nine minutes. In nine minutes. Yeah. It takes or a you just long time. Get there yeah. a little early and sit in the parking lot and listen. Yeah. Um, so your book that you mentioned, uh, what was it? The Essentialism or what was, what was that one? 
there's uh, essentialism, the disciplined pursuit yeah, of less, of less yeah. and read dangerously the subversive power of literature in troubled times. Yeah. So that reminds me, the first one, the essentialism one, uh, reminds me of a book called uh, Subtract by Lydie, Lydie Klotz, Lydie Klotz. Um, I've had sitting on my, on, it was gifted to me for my birthday uh, last year and I haven't opened it yet. And, and the, the person who gave it to me, a friend of mine was like, you need to take things off of your plate. Uh, you know, you need to subtract things. And so here's this book, read it when you have time. And of course I haven't had time <laughs> yet. Um, so that, that is something that eventually I will get around to reading. But, um, I just finished very recently braided learning by Dr. C Susan Dion. Um, and it was, you know, connecting the arts to indigenous learning and uh, how we can learn more through stories and the arts and, uh, and, and sort of take a look at different aspects of indigenous learning, as well as looking at our own indigeneity or non-indigeneity and the impacts of, um, of our lives and how it impacts Canada in general, Canadians. Uh, and so that was a really great read that was, um, gifted to us actually within our roles. And I've had the opportunity now to listen to Dr. Tion speak twice. Um, and, and that's such a wonderful opportunity for us as well. Uh, for that me, that makes me think we're doing for OSLA for my fifth book. I forgot five books. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're doing resurgence, engaging with indigenous mm -hmm. narratives and cultural expressions in and beyond the classroom. It sounds like it would be along a similar vein. It's very interesting because it's yeah. a set of essays or poems and it has this really kind of cool footbridge um, framework. It fits really well if you've worked done any work with Goldie Muhammad's yep. HRL framework. They tie in really well together. Actually, Dr. Dean uh, recommended Resurgence. It was one of, it was somebody asked a question, what books would you uh, recommend? And she recommended Resurgence. So that's it's really, great. I'll have to check that one out as well. I did yeah. write it down We're at the time. We're doing it for an OSLA book talk. So we'll be oh, uh, posting prompts and stuff on Twitter. Cool. I will look out for that. Um, and another book that I'm reading this is a fiction book is uh, Marrow Thieves, which is um, uh, a book that has been, um, that I suggested it to one of the teachers that I'm working with uh, to do as a shared reading. Um, and so we are exploring that book right now to see if that is something that we could use. And so I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it because I, I, I love um, books about dystopian futures. And mm -hmm. um, it's a science fiction novel with an indigenous uh, sort of learning theme that falls into it, takes place in Canada. And, and it seems like it's really cool. I've, I've only about 35 pages in, as I mentioned, I'm a very slow reader, but I'm looking forward to reading that over the break. Um, I started my... reading Hunting by Stars. Oh, which yes. Is the, which is the second the... one, I believe. Yeah, I started reading it in the summer and I was not in the headspace for mm. dystopian. Okay. So I had to put it down. So I need to go get back to it. Yeah. 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 Jay, what are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even ask the question with a straight face. What a it's horrible question. interview question. <laughs> I just looked at your face and I... it, was, it was funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> One, I understand now why you don't like the original ending to Blade Runner because you love your dystopian and yes. not utopian stories. So thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Two, as we were talking, we got a notification that someone would be a great guest <laughs> on our podcast. 
<laughs> no. no, because we've never interacted before. This, again, I'll go on a little mini rant. We know all these foundations of great relationships, and then these teachers forget them all and thinking I'm going to shove you on our podcast because you, our audience is going to love you. If we have no relationship, you won, you wouldn't be able to handle me. You'd be surprised at what I say, and then you'd wonder why Pav even sticks around for this. <laughs> Um, Have I had that thought? No. <laughs> it's, it's assumed. It's assumed. I, I'm not a very likable person. <laughs> as, as, well, I don't even know if we joke. I let you know that if, if you're friends with Pav, there's a consequence. You have to be friends with me. Che comes with the package. That's it. The package, That's yeah. the consequence. Package deal. That's right. So um, <laughs> to play into your lap, I'm not going to quote what I'm reading recently because you know I love to listen, and so I do love audiobooks, but even those are tough for me to stay focused on. I need my sort of shorter content, like a short story. I need my podcasts. And so I always stick with Ralph Nader. And uh, it was said, mm -hmm. you know, the sort of the big ones that I float through that space. It was said is a history, is it a history channel production? But, is that your fire alarm? Should we get out? <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Beth. Maybe you get out and I'll just finish the episode without you. Um, I don't know. I don't know why it's going off. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that podcast in Hawaii. Um, um, I was going to say, yes, it's a, I believe it's a History Channel production, but it's just, yeah. it's great insights into sort of these famous speeches and all the context around them, etc. And they tend to be very informative. So I enjoy those listens that would say our routine. Ralph Nader and It Was Said each week, along with all kinds of other great educational podcasts and sports podcasts. But those two, they, they stick out. I love my, my Ralph Nader sort of, um, you know, he's a social justice warrior and he's got uh, something important called receipts. Mm -hmm. He's done work. And he's a smart and intellectual, and he, he brings insights into things I never would have thought of or pondered. And I, and I think one of the greatest learnings there is the indiscriminate injustice to which society constantly gives a pass on, I think has been the greatest eye-opener of Ralph Nader content, is just being aware of sort of these systemic inequalities and the, the system, the fraudulent systems that constantly get a pass in society because it's tough to emotionally connect, connect with and it's tough to personalize. And if we can't personalize or sort of humanize the indiscretion, we give passes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been my greatest learning with Ralph Nader. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Che. Um, the podcasts are extremely valuable as well and I, I don't think we should dismiss um, mm -hmm. that listening or even make it less valuable than reading books because, you know, as much as I joke and I looked at you and laughed when I said, what are you reading? But, um, don't but backpedal now. Don't backpedal. Don't try to loop as, out of this. As now. podcast creators, we should probably not discredit. No, listening. no. And absolutely. <laughs> we, we don't because we listen to some really great ones. Yeah. And, you know, I listened to the Ralph Nader and it was said with you, um, as well, but there are some really great podcasts that uh, that we've been able to listen to lately, mm -hmm. and and you know have great conversation around. Like Street Data has been a really great one that I've been listening to. Another book I need to read. Yeah, and I, I haven't read the book, and I don't have a copy of the book, and I'd like to read it. But the, even listening to the podcast has been really, really great, very eye opening, and great conversations. Um, My Spotify rap said I listened to 3,700 minutes of podcasts last year. Wow. So that's a lot. That of is time. a lot. That is a, a lot, lot of time. time. That's going to be tomorrow's yeah. math question. Who knows what else I could have learned? <laughs> yes. <laughs> In that time. <laughs> Whole language, maybe. Yeah. 
thanks for this guys this was great another successful crossover exactly thank you so much beth and thank you so much che for thank you che are you feeling better now i love it when a plan comes together (laughs) more 80s references yes (laughs) (laughs) perfect yes thank you so much and uh looking forward to listening back to these two episodes uh because it was great conversation and it's not often that we can sit for two hours and chat Uh, but i'm really glad that we were able to do that today so And thank you for everyone for listening. Remember to check part one. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this half is going to sound a little disjointed. (laughs) Don't worry. They're (laughs) used to that with me. They're like, ah, right in flow. (laughs) Perfect. Beth, been a pleasure. Thank you so much for this collaboration. And for everyone that listened, if you know someone that wants to on our (laughs) podcast, please direct them our way. No, direct them to Beth. (laughs) 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 All right. Good night, everyone. You're listening to The Chain Pav Show. Well, Pav, that was a good conversation. Crossover Absolutely. done. Yeah, it was great. And it's always great to talk to Beth. Um, we don't get to connect as much as we used to during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, we still try to stay uh, abreast of things that are happening in each other's professional lives and a little bit of personal lives as well so it's it's always nice to be able to sit down and and actually chat about things and and it was a very fun conversation it was a it was a good time to catch up and uh and talk about our changing roles which uh we've we've got lots of changes that we've been experiencing so um very cathartic to sit around and and talk about it and i always feel good when i could masquerade as tom Selleck, mate <laughs> yes pi <laughs> in those wonderful crossover episodes. Yes. Um, I, I did love the last little, as we got off on, you know, podcast guests and joking. And I, I it, it's similar to our argument at the beginning, Pav, it becomes this, it becomes nuanced and complex. Because of course you got to go out and you got to ask, because not everyone's going to ask you to be on a podcast. But before you come and you ask us, we, I would like you to practice, even if it's performatively, some of the foundational concepts of good teaching and good learning, which is relationship building. And so if you have never spoken to us ever, please do not ask us to be on our podcast. It just doesn't sit or land very well for me, Pav, for me. Because I'm like, you You want to say, how, how can I say I'm using you for your platform without saying I'm using you for your platform? Ask to be on my podcast, our podcast, me, because I'm, I'm making this definitive statement, without ever having interacted with us before. I, on the other hand, enjoy reading the emails. <laughs> <laughs> can I add one thing? Can I add one thing? Yes. Okay, you and I had this conversation. People pay people. People pay people to go around and ask on their behalf to be on a podcast. Yeah. And then you want me to put you on my podcast, your, our podcast, for free. <laughs> Listen, hey, let me give you a new business model. If you want to be on a podcast and you're willing to spend money on people to find spaces for you, skip the middleman. Just drop the money to the podcast and say, here, here's X amount of dollars. Can I be on your show? Uh, Pav will say no because she's got more ethics than that, but I can be bought off. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Sinbad in the movie, I, I, President's Kid, I think it was, and they asked him, would he do it again? He said, yeah, not for free. 
Yeah. But they do it again. Not for free. <laughs> Definitely not for free. <laughs> and of course, this is all tongue in cheek, but it, it is, it's a little, and I think of any content creator, it does become a little di more difficult to decipher the authenticity of why people want to interact with you. Do they really like you? Do they really want to be a part of a, a community together? Do they just want to use you? Do they want to have reciprocity where we're both collectively growing? Or are they swooping in for the quick score? Yeah, and, and more often than not, it's the quick score. Again, it's uh, it's throwing your name into the ring of all of these uh, podcasts that exist and saying, okay, well, let's just try to get my name out there as to as many places as possible. But I 100% agree with you. There needs to be some sort of understanding of even what the podcast is about, you know, the genre, the theme, the, you know, the, the kind of the way that we operate, at least listen to an episode to see if you're going to be a good fit. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's got to mesh a little bit. Um, otherwise listeners can tell when it's put on, when it's fake. And so, and we're not about that life. So um, I don't know. Do your research a little bit. Like that's what we do. We, we do our research. If we're going to be having somebody on as a guest, we owe them that much. That is part of the relationship. And so, uh, we really do hope that that is reciprocal. I mean, Che and I work hard for this. This is not our full-time job. We are not getting paid for this. And, um, you know, we, this is the time that we take, for our own learning and to push our learning out to people who think we think are going to appreciate it. And so, um, if your message doesn't align with the things that we talk about, then really, why are you contacting us? I loved it, Baff. That's great. You're almost <laughs> going to go into a chant. I, I was almost, <laughs> I guess a pant. Oh, <laughs> I don't like that. Let's not use that. <laughs> well, you do pant a lot when you're at the gym. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's golden because you work hard. You work to uh, max. Yes, indeed. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us on this lighthearted, rant-filled episode in this wonderful crossover with Beth Lyons. Mm -hmm. And what's our swag bag? Reciprocity. Mm -hmm. Relationships. Make them real. Make them meaningful. Make them authentic. Uh, I think number two, Pav, is really be open about your positionality. E if you're an educator, what specifically are you doing in education? Because that's important. And I think, Pav, one of the things we talked about is that it's not that being a consultant or a coach isn't valuable, but its value is in being really articulate that I'm a coach. And so I can bring what coaches can bring. I'm not going to come and pretend that I'm a teacher. They're different. Yeah. You got one there, Pav, before we wrap this up or just crank up the music? No, crank up the music. All right. You've been listening to episode 122 of the Chain Pav Show. Sponsor of the Selects, <laughs> Ontario's greatest C-level softball team. <laughs> That's fun. We got your jersey ordered. Yes. Yes.